as I was thinking about you guys this week, I just, uh, a year, well, this is, oh my gosh, this is now coming up on probably like two, a little over two and a half years ago. Two and a half years ago, um, we talked with Jake and Becky, and we talked with Andoni and Lorna, and we shared this kind of dream that we wanted to plant the church. And um, a lot of people have said to us, you know, why would you plant a church in Newburgh? Of all places, you know, there's so many churches here. Why, do you, why are you doing that? And <laughs> literally, in, in so many words, like, please don't do this. Why are you doing this? Um, and the reality is this, is that we uh, don't listen to the wisdom of people. We listen to the wisdom of God. And so we don't have the luxury of, of using just the best methods. Um, we listen to him. And then whatever he's saying, we do that. Jesus gave us this clue into how to do ministry through this idea that he only did what he saw the Father doing. He only said what he saw the Father saying. So that means that he's tied his ministry to vicinity. You see what I mean? He, he hasn't, he's not going to take a step where God the Father isn't stepping. <laughs> if you want to know, oh gosh, okay, maybe, okay. I'm going to get to this in just a second. If you want to know, if you want to have a light, Jesus says this. He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And so many of us go, oh, when you get around Jesus, he just rests a lot. So if I sit here, if I lay here, if I, you know, soak in worship, just play that piano, Jack, keep on playing it. Um, That's where, that's how I get, you know, Jesus, his yoke is easy, right? Uh, The thing about a yoke is that it's an instrument that's used to plow a field, so, the, so this, it's so fascinating. The idea of a yoke is that it's used to do work. <laughs> Throughout the, um, the Gospels, Jesus frequently talks about how his food is to do what the Father's doing. He's like, is this, if you remember, there's this moment where Jesus is with the woman at the well. And the woman at the well is, um, you know, she, she's there at the wrong time of the day. It's really hot out. Uh, Jesus' disciples are like, we need to go find some food. And uh, she's there because she has kind of a secret life. And the secret life has gotten out. She's had five different spouses. And she's kind of an outcast in this society. And Jesus shows up. And the disciples are surprised to find him after they go get food. They're surprised to find that he's talking with this woman. It's abnormal for a Jewish man to talk with a woman, let alone with a Samaritan woman, which she happened to be. And they say, you know, aren't you hungry? And he says this, I have food that you don't know about. My food is to do the will of the Father. So oftentimes what we do is we have our own, con- our own con- conception in our minds of where we're going to find life, where we're going to find rest, and we chase those things while Jesus is with a yoke going in another direction. So if you want the light burden, if you want the easy yoke, if you want to find rest, you have to go where he's going. So, so oftentimes people have said to us, um, oh my gosh, church planting, isn't that so difficult? Isn't it so hard? What's the, this is the best question. What's the worst part about planting a church? <laughs> and, you know, I, I really, um, we, one of the things that we believe strongly is that our words create worlds. So I don't really love the comment about not having the castle on the hill, but we can talk about that a little bit later. But um, <laughs> what we say creates a reality for us to live in. We're made in the image of a God who spoke, and when he spoke, a world leapt into being. And so we don't have the luxury of saying things without them creating realities for people to live in or ourselves to live in. I mean, how many of you have ever had somebody say something negative about you and it shaped the way that you saw yourself and shaped your life? 
And so what God's words, they do the same exact thing. What God, what God is, intends to do in each and every person's life is connect them to his word so that he can connect them to life. And so one of the things that we did you know, early on is we said we're not, we're not gonna talk about how hard it is to church plant. We're not gonna talk about how difficult it is to, to it, it, you know, one of the things that pastors like to you know, complain about all the time is, is you know, pastoral ministry, it's the kind of job that follows you home. Well, every job follows you home. You're thinking about it, right? Ministering to people is not difficult because it's with the yoke of Christ. What's difficult is dying to self, and you have to die to self if you're gonna go in his direction. That's what, that's what keeps you in, that, in that, that, that surrender that you say, I'm not gonna go in a direction that you're not going. I'm gonna stay yoked to you. That decision is death to self, and that decision is what produces rest. How many of you guys have ever had something in your life that you um, thought you needed to live well? And the more you hung on to it, the more you didn't really live. <laughs> and the instant that you gave it up, all of a sudden, oh my goodness, it's like I can breathe again. It's like I can exhale again. And so people often ask us, they say, you know, what's the hardest part about planting a church? And honestly, it has not been difficult. It has been, what, you know, what Jim is talking about, we've been blessed financially by you guys. Um, I, I feel like, you know, what we just experienced in worship, that's become normal. <laughs> that's not normal for most people. And so I was just thinking about you guys, and I just want to say I love you. Um, I know I don't know many of you. I, don't, I really don't know many of you. Um, but I love uh, I can see what God is doing in your life, and I, I love what he's doing, and I love your response to him. I know that for a lot of you, uh, some of the places that we've gone as a church, they've, it's stretching a little bit. I just had a conversation with a gal who was saying, yeah, my friend came and checked it out one time, not again. I know that's been the story for many people, but for those of you who have begun to call Saints Hill family and home, it's a, you're paying a cost. You're saying, I'm gonna start putting aside um, what people might think of me if it means that I get you. I, you know, and I even know, I'm gonna start putting aside time. I, I, I know I had a, a father come up to me, a father of a Fox student come up to me um, a few weeks ago and, and let me know that if you eat your meals in the cafeteria, the cafeteria is open the exact times that our church gathering is. So some of you even go without food or you figure out a different thing for food. God is not ignorant of that. He sees that and he will bless you. He will pour himself out. Whenever he just can't help but have fire fall on sacrifice. So um, I, I, was a, I was away um, for a, well, a couple weeks ago, I was away in Australia. I had the, uh, the great privilege of going to Australia, and um, I got to speak at this conference, and I got to speak at this church. And if you'd ever asked me, do you think that somebody's gonna have you come speak in Australia someday? I would have said, no way. Um, but it happened, and it was amazing. And what I found was this. Um, the culture that we carry, the things that we talk about, the, the revelation that we have is abnormal. It's become normal here, but there are many people all across the world who are hungry and it's not unique to us. It's not just our culture. You know what it is? It's the culture of heaven. People so want heaven. And I just am so privileged that we get to come every single Sunday um, and we get to see just a little taste of heaven. Um, I think that we're seeing a lot of things in our church that I kind of wanted to pause. We're, I'm not in a series. I'm just, if you, this wasn't uh, apparent already, I'm just gonna share with you from my heart tonight. Um, I think that we're seeing a lot of uh, things that are uh, unique. 
I think that we're seeing God pour out revelation. Um, do you guys understand what I, what I mean when I say revelation? Some of you are like, wait, special revelation, like the Bible? No, what, what I mean is that God is pouring out wisdom on, the, on his ways. Moses comes to God and he says, um, I, I kind of have an idea of who you are, but I want to know your ways. What does that mean? I want to know the way of thinking, the way of being that causes heaven all around you. I want to know how you do things and, and why you do things. And I really think that our church is being marked by um, a, a people who are understanding his ways, a people who are understanding what his intentions are for, for a place, for a nation, okay? Um, I, I think what it's doing is it's helping us renew our minds. And so we, we come together and we worship together and we just say, you know, God, center me back on you again. And then we leave here and we face all of the same situations, but we approach them with new insight and new ways of thinking, Right? And so no longer are we solving Earth's problems, the things that we face, with Earth's solutions. We now have a heavenly solution for the things that we face. What a beautiful thing. I think that's one of the things that we're, that's being poured out on our church. I think you could, in a nutshell, call this God's words to us. But also I think that we're seeing just people have encounters with God. I just think of, who was here last week for Chris Cruz's uh, time with us? That was so good. Um, there was a gal right here whose jaw was completely touched. The expression on her face was just complete shock and joy. Um, she had a, a, a jaw issue, prayed for healing, and right there, got healed. Um, I just spoke with a gal um, who goes to Fox. She had um, kind of, uh, she, I, I, I'm gonna get this wrong, I think, fractures all throughout her shin. The, the MRI had shown just a bunch of really, um, you know, spots where the, where the shin had been uh, terribly fractured. Um, she has somebody pray for her shin, not here, somewhere else at Fox, she pray for her shin. Uh, she sees visibly there was where there was a bump, the bump goes down, it's completely smooth, and then she goes to her doctor, and as her doctor's entering the room, she can overhear her doctor saying, are you sure that this is her MRI? This can't be. And she's, she goes, she's thinking, well, either it's really bad or it's really good, right? <laughs> the doctor comes in and he says, this is a bone that looks like there's never been any stress on it. Just like, in a moment. Um, and here's, here's the thing, you cannot bump up against God and not get some life on you. How many of you guys understand that the camp high was not intended to end? <laughs> God has designed it so that life is the most attractive thing to humans. We can't help but want it when we see it on other people, we want to be around them. And what we actually, what we called the camp high was actually living close to the one who is life without distraction and with a focus on him. So the other night, um, I'm laying in bed, this is kind of where this message comes from, I'm laying in bed and I, and I, I can't sleep. And what I try to do when I can't sleep is not think. Because if I start thinking, I'm really not going to be able to sleep. I'll be up all night. And all of a sudden, I get this thought in my head. And this is the thought. God says to me, Alex, I'm pouring out life. What are you going to do as a family to steward it? And I'm like, is this something that I need to get up for and write some things down? Or can I just go back to sleep? Maybe you could remind me of this in the morning, you know? And he's like, no, no, no. I got to download. So he did, I get up and I just start writing down. How do we steward life? And this is what I want to talk about tonight. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. That's where we're going to begin, is Matthew 13. Um, 
We were actually in Matthew 13 uh, last week as well, but I, I want to look at a different thing. I want to look at the parable of the sower. If you're um, familiar with the Bible, you'll probably be familiar with this story. Um, Jesus begins to, to basically use his environment to explain the ways of the kingdom. In the same way Moses asked for the ways of God, what Jesus is doing with parables is he's explaining the ways of the kingdom. So we're going to be in uh, Matthew 13, and we're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 9 and then 18 through 23. Okay, so let's read this. It says this. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large, cra- large crowds gathered round him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Verse 8, still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now we're going to skip ahead. He does an explanation about why parables. You can read another time, but verse 18 says this. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. What Jesus is saying here is that the seed of the kingdom, these seeds that have the ability to produce the kingdom, um, they're messages from God. If you notice, look down at your Bibles. It says this in verse 18. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. Anyone who hears the what? Okay, come on. Anyone who hears the message about the kingdom. So, So he's talking about messages of the kingdom. Well, what are messages? I think they're the two things that we've been experiencing. They're the word of God given to us, whether it's the written form, like what Jim just shared. That was beautiful, by the way. Thank you. Or it's the spoken word. It's, I got this prophetic word, or I got this word. Maybe it's for you, or, hey, does this connect with you? And it's, it's sharing that. Um, but also think about what else a message could be. A message could be an encounter with God. Think about an, um, an action that sends a message. I was thinking we watched the slam dunk contest last night. Anybody else? It was awesome. No, but okay. Um, we watched the slam dunk contest last night, and at one point, this guy goes up, <clears throat> he dunks the ball, and the announcer, you can picture it, says, he just sent a message with that dunk, right? Messages can be encounters. They can be these actions that we, where we come into contact with a good father, and we go, oh, that just changed the way that I think. That changed the way that I think about you, right? So, God's speaking over his people, written, spoken, 
God doing the miraculous, which is simply, you know, we say the word miraculous and everybody's like, wait, what? The miraculous is just simply this. It's God bringing to life things that have died. That's what it is. It's things that have had the weight of our broken world on them to the point where they've broken and God touching them to bring them to life, right? And what this passage is saying is that those, God's word, God's encounter, it's like a seed. It's seed. Now, now what is a seed? Well, um, a few years ago, I started thinking about seeds. <laughs> you know, have you ever, th- have you ever, th- there are things in, in this life we get so used to that we, we, we miss how glorious they are. You know what I'm saying? Um, and and w- what kind of captured my mind is that the, a seed, this tiny little thing, can turn into a, a giant tree. And it's just, but it, all of the life of a tree is just packed within to that little seed. So um, here, here's a photo from our backyard. Okay, this is our tree in our backyard. Uh, is it a sequoia? What is it? It's a cedar, right? <clears throat> it's a cedar. That, okay, so this is, a, this is our shed, and then that's the tree, okay? It's huge, and our house is tiny. It's just a one-level house, and so it's like, if you ever stand back and look at our house, it's like, tiny house, 100-foot tree. <laughs> You're like, I hope those roots are solid. Um, and, and, but where this tree came from is that. It's a pine cone, right? This is actually from that tree. Okay, so, it, so think about this. That tree is inside of that. Okay? All of that life, all of that expansion, all of that growth is packed down into that seed. But it's even crazier than that, right? Because there's not just a single tree inside of a seed. There's an entire forest inside of a seed, Right? Because one seed will produce a tree, which produces, I don't know, I'm just guessing, 300 more seeds on it, right? Which each have the ability to produce a tree, another tree that produces 300 more seeds. And next thing you know, you have a forest. A forest is in a seed. So, so think about what this means. It means a couple things. The first thing that this means is that our encounters, our revelation from the, the word of God, when shared with others, hey, here's what happened to me. Here's something that I heard. Here's something that I read. They produce encounter and revelation for others. Okay? This is how the life of the kingdom spreads. This story about this gal who, um, who, who, ha- who was healed in her shin. Do you know, before this, she didn't have, a, I just talked with her during the four minutes. She said, before then, I wasn't, I didn't think God didn't heal. I just really didn't know that he did heal, if that makes sense. And she said this, once I was healed, I started praying for people to be healed. Why? She bumped up against God, got some life on her, and next thing you knew, she had a seed to share with somebody else. Within our encounters with God, within the words that we hear from God, is an entire forest of kingdom expansion when shared. Secondly, every seed carries with it the ability to produce life inside of that seed. One of the strangest and most um, interesting moments of the life of Jesus is when the angel comes to Mary, right? The angel comes to Mary, and what does he say? He says, you're going to be found with child, for nothing is impossible with God, right? Now, some of you may have a different translation, and another translation, I think it's the ESV that says this. The angel comes to Mary, and the angel says this. You're going to be found with child, And the angel says this, same line, same Greek phrase, for no word from God will ever fail. Now, which is it? 
Is it that nothing is impossible with God, or is it that no word from God will ever fail? Well, um, the word in Greek for word is rhema, okay? Now, rhema can also mean thing. So, so, so what's going on, and that's how you get two different translations, is in one translation it's saying, oh, rhema here means word, so no word of God will ever fail. Another translator is saying, no, 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 I think that it means thing here, so nothing of God will ever fail. What does it mean? What it means is this, there is no word ever spoken from God, whether it's the prophetic word, whether it's the written word, there's no word that is ever spoken that doesn't carry in it the ability to bring that word to pass. <laughs> okay, that is way better news than your response. <laughs> when God speaks and he says, this is what I'm doing in your life, or when you, when you open the scriptures and you read and you go, is this what he wants to do in my life? No word of God will ever be spoken or shared without carrying inside of that word the ability for that word to come to pass in your life. It's a seed. That's what a seed is. A seed is something that carries within it the ability to become a forest. Carries within it the life that's needed to multiply the kingdom. So when you hear the word, when you see that encounter or that it happens with you. It really can be somebody else. It can be just what that gal shared with me about her shin. Do you know what that did for me? Oh, I, tr I believe again. That's just like me bumping up against you again, God. It's looking around and seeing the life that he's pouring out, the life through his word, the life through encounter, and saying, I honor that in such a way that I want you to produce that in my life. Produce a forest of the kingdom in me. There's so much fruit there's so much growth that comes from valuing his word and his actions in your life and in the lives of the people around you. And that's what seeds need, right? They need the correct environment. So he's talking about soil here, right? Soil, in the metaphor, is this. It's the place in your life where things grow. Have you ever believed one way, lived one way, and then five years later, you look back on that, and you're like, how did I get here from there? There's soil in all of our lives. There's a belief system. There's the heart, the seat of all uh, will and emotion that things grow in, good or bad. And so what he's saying in this is he's saying, what does that seat, what is that soil, what is that heart, is it, it, is it hospitable to my seed? So the question that comes in this text and in this parable is this. What in our soil could kill the life that he wants to bring. And he's really just kind of two things. Look down, verse 18. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling on the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word, making it unfruitful. It's really two different things. Uh, what keeps us from having those, those encounters, those words take root in our, in our life and the camp high continue, the life continue, is that these things can get snatched from the evil one. There's opposition from the enemy and there's unbelief. And worries of life 
and the deceitfulness of wealth, which is what? I think we have a slide for this. Is self-preservation, right? Those are the two things that can come into our lives and snatch away what we've witnessed or what's, what's been done to us, what's been spoken to us. You guys alive? Okay. Briefly. I want to talk about each of these. I want to talk about opposition from the enemy. The reality is this, is that all blessing from God attracts opposition. Every time God does something in our midst, the enemy's not happy about it. Every time God does something in your life, speaks something over you, the enemy is not happy about it. I didn't understand this, this text until I read the um, fifth bo- or sixth book of Harry Potter. Then I understood this. So you guys didn't think there was the gospel in Harry Potter. Ooh, whoa, read it again. Um, <clears throat> there's a moment where uh, Dumbledore is having a conversation with Harry, and Harry's frustrated because he's discovered there's a prophecy about him and Voldemort. He's discovered there's this prophecy, and it's a, this prophecy is what's attracted Voldemort to him to try to kill him. And this is what he says. This, this is what Dumbledore says. He says, Voldemort marked you as his equal because of the word that was spoken over your life. This is it. God's value, his word over your life, God's encounter with you, his relationship with you, it attracts the opposition of the enemy. Okay? Think about Mary. What does the angel come and say to her? He says, highly favored one. And then later on we read, and her husband and her fiancé tried to divorce her quietly. <laughs> All of God's favor attracts opposition. Look down your Bibles, verse 21. What does it say? But since they have no root, they last only a short time when trouble or persecution comes. Why? Because of the word. So God is trying to promote life while the enemy is trying to promote death. Don't be surprised when the enemy does what he's always done in your life. Don't be surprised when you come here or you, you pray with your friends or you, you, you read the scriptures and something's illuminated to you. Don't be surprised when opposition comes, when the lie comes. When I, I was in, uh, when I was in Australia, there was this one night that we had and the Lord had given me a word of knowledge about there being a gentleman, young gentleman, whose father had cancer and whose father also didn't follow Jesus. So I shared this. I said, is there anybody here whose dad has cancer? doesn't follow Jesus. One guy just like, and just weeping. I said, okay, well, let's pray for him. A couple days later, I find out that this guy's uh, dad, um, he went home and he said, dad, you'll never believe this. I was at this church gathering and this guy said that, he, you know, called, called you out basically and then we prayed for you. And this guy was, this older guy was so moved that there would be a people thinking about him, praying for him, even though he didn't really buy it. He said, I need to come to that church. <laughs> and so he's now gonna, he's going to the church that I was at. Um, right after that, the next day, I had a couple more, that was like the last day that I was with this church. I had a couple more days all to myself, and here's what I'm thinking about those couple days. What I say doesn't matter. No one's ever gonna be affected by my life. I should just quit. Why am I even doing this anymore? I could be doing a million other things. Where did those thoughts come from? God speaks life, there's a garden, he speaks relationship, walk with me in the cool of the day, and then the enemy comes and he's like, God's not that good, right? Opposition comes whenever you get life on you, okay? But it's classic, here's the best part. The enemy has, he always does the exact same thing. We know what he's up to. And so it's our job to not react to what he's saying, but to go to a father. How, what would have happened if Adam and Eve had said, 
huh, that's weird. That's not what God said. Hey, what do you think about this? <laughs> that's what our life is to be based around. In every moment, when you get the doctor phone call and it's bad news, when the car breaks down again, I see you, Lexi. When, I've been there, it's like <laughs> brutal. Um, when the financial disaster hits, when the relationship breaks apart, do you just let your mind run wild or do you go to him? One, say this, someone's vo voice promotes life. I'll let you figure out <laughs> which one that is. Now, what is the rocky ground? He says this in verse 20. He says, the seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word um, and receives it with joy. But since they have no root, it lasts only a short time. I think that this is a lack of belief. I think there's no root because there's no belief. And, and here's what I want to say. Without belief in God, we will always believe the lowest common denominator of our experience. Without a, a solid and sturdy belief in who God is, we will always allow our experience to inform what our worldview is, okay? What I see today are, um, it's a growing number of powerless disciples. I don't think this is in this room, but I see within the church a growing number of powerless disciples because the issues of earth have grown larger as the seeds of the kingdom weren't given space to be believed in. I've had a number of friends, and maybe, maybe you're there, maybe you're here, and I, I'm not trying to downplay this. I do think that this, there's, this can be part of the journey, um, or, or maybe you know friends like this, but I've had a number of friends who have deconstructed their faith. There's a lot of that language around, we just need to deconstruct this faith. I got this faith from my parents. I'm scarred by my church that I grew up in, um, and I, I'm not downplaying any of that. But what I have found is that in almost every, well, I'll say in my friends, not, maybe not in yours, but in every instance of my friends, um, with their faith being de deconstructed, with a loss of faith, it also coincides with a decrease in spending time in here. So, they now have, they're getting, by that, just by that equation, they're now getting a belief system, a soil, a heart, that is full of a way of thinking that is now incompatible with the gospel. And they begin, begin to normalize it. And they place a virtue on it. It's not virtuous. So now what happens is then you have a bunch of believers who are right on the edge of, I don't even know if I believe anymore, and because they have a heartscape that's full of the stones of fear instead of the seeds of life. Think, think about a, a uh, landscape. Jesus, it, when I was in Israel, he's getting this from the landscape. There's all kinds of fields that are full of rocks. If they're full of rocks, they can't be full of life. There's no plants growing there. There's just kind of weeds and brush. Nothing in this life will cause death quicker than fear. And when you aren't filling yourself up on truth, then you will always lower your life to the lowest common denominator of your experience. Lastly, he talks about the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth, which are self-preservation. Self-preservation is the practical manifestation of fear. It's what it is. It's the cares and worries of life becoming the guiding principles over one's life. How do you make decisions? Well, I'm worried about this, and so I need to do this, right? What it is, is it's, it's trying to hold on to what tends to slip away, things that we can't hold on to. 
things that just we were never meant to hold on to. And that struggle to keep the people or things that we, that we think we need in order to really live, it's that struggle that we begin to normalize as this is what life is. This is just what it is. And so what we've gotten to as a society, we've gotten to this place where we now call anxiety normal life. It's just normal life. Any definition of life that inspires anxiety, how will I get it, how will I keep it, is under the influence of a lie. Any time that there, really, if there's anxiety in your life, you really need to pause and go, what am I defining life as? And here's the key. Did Jesus have it? If he had it, then I need it, and it's not gonna inspire anxiety because it's free for me to have. If Jesus didn't have it, then I don't need it to be fully alive. And so oftentimes, we're reaching for the things that Jesus never had, because he is life, we're reaching for the things that Jesus never had, and then we're, we're getting anxious about it, and we're calling that normal living. It's not normal. It's not for us. People who have resurrection life do not need to protect what they have. If you're getting resurrected, you don't need to grasp at life. You already have it. The people who are most dead are the people who protect what they have, right? You've seen them. It's like scrambling to get. The people who are most alive are those who have open hands. And life in the kingdom is always measured by what you're able to give away rather than what you're able to accumulate. This is what it means to have that seed and to give those seeds away to the people around you. John 1, um, and I want to close with this. John 1 says that Jesus is life. So if you want life, you need Jesus. Life is him. What did Jesus have? What kind of soil did Jesus have that he was then able to produce so much life around him? And I think it's this. He had a revelation of a good father. He had a revelation of a good father. That was his soil. If I could have, um, if I could just pray one prayer, if God was like, you got one more prayer left, man. <laughs> I'm like, okay. If I could pray one prayer and I knew it would happen instantly, it would be that every single person in this room had a fresh revelation of just how much God loves them. That's the one prayer. <laughs> He's like, uh, He's doing this in, in, in us right now. He's giving us a new revelation of his goodness. It's so simple, but it's so important. A revelation, an understanding of how good God is becomes the soil which life grows in and which death cannot take root in. What kind of father do you think you have? When you think about God, what comes to mind? Um... You can tell a lot about someone by what they delight in, right? You can tell a lot about someone by what they love. What does God love? John 15 uh, says this. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. What pleases God is fruit. Now what is fruit in this context? It's answered prayer. What I, this is how I get glorified. This is how God gets glorified is you, by you praying, by you asking for things and me pouring those things out. That's how, you get, that's how I get glorified. That's, how I, that's what I delight in. In other words, think about this. 
God is glorified. In other words, he's accurately seen. God delights in when one of his children reflects in their requests their understanding of his goodness. So when you, how he's glorified is he goes, oh, you're asking for it all. I want to pour that out. He gets glorified when we say, I'm not going to pray small prayers. I'm asking for all of heaven right here. And he gets happy. We're told by Jesus to ask for heaven, are we not? Can we all agree with that? Like, nod your head if you agree. Jesus taught us to pray. He said, on earth as it is in heaven, right? Okay. I think the best indicator for how we view God as our Father is by what we ask him for. So if you don't ask him for much, it's because you don't think that he's interested in pouring out much. Why do we ask for less when Jesus told us to ask for heaven? Um, there's, a, uh, there's a theology called the uh, now and not yet theology. Just raise your hand if you've ever heard of this before. Now and not yet, anybody? I, th- I hope mo- most of you have heard of it. The idea of the theology goes like this. There are bits of heaven that we can taste right now. In other words, the kingdom of heaven is now, but the kingdom of heaven is also not yet, right? So the kingdom of heaven is now, and so we get to enjoy relationship with God, salvation, right, standing with a good father, um, grace, uh, even little bits of heaven here, here or there, but it's also not yet. Just look around you, right? There's war, there's, there's lying, there's cheating, stealing, there's death, there's all kinds of things in our world that do not belong in heaven, right? And so there's this idea that the kingdom of heaven is now, but it's not yet. Um, I really understand this. I think it's true. But I think there's a couple problems with that idea. Um, Some use this idea, use this phrase, to downplay the kingdom in general. And so we go, yeah, the kingdom is now, but it's really not yet. It's now, but it's not yet. It's not yet. Don't get your hopes up. Um, secondly, uh, when Jesus describes persecution, saying that we will suffer, um, he wasn't saying, hey, you're going to suffer, so don't ask for heaven. It was to say, opposition comes from the enemy, so know where your life comes from. Why are you creating a theology around what the enemy does? It's not, that's actually not theology, that's Satanology. The, the real issue with this phrase is that Jesus never said it. Oh man, feathers getting ruffled, I can just tell it. Jesus never said, now the kingdom is now, and it's not yet, guys. Jesus said, the kingdom is at hand. What's something that's at hand? Something that's attainable. So many people, many followers of Jesus, they allow the not yet part to tell them how much they should ask him for. But he told us to ask for heaven. I was on the phone with um, a guy from my, uh, one of my seminary classes, and uh, we, every, every week we have this phone call, I'm taking Greek, and so we talk about Greek, and um, we, early on, from our first phone call, I understood that him and I have very, very, very different views of God's character, maybe even polar opposite views of God's character at some level. And so um, I really try to steer clear of that conversation. I feel like over the phone, I don't even know the guy. It's like, what am I, I don't want to get an argument. I just got to figure out how to like, 
how the first declension works, okay? So, um, he, but, but the other day, um, he said to me, he said, hey, so, you know, I looked up your church. I'm thinking, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Um, and he's like, and I, I have some questions for you. I said, okay, well, what do, you, what do you think? And he's like, what do you think is the driving force behind your church? I was like, oh, that's a really great question. You know, and I started to say, oh, we have these 10 core. And I thought, well, what's even behind that? What's behind that is this. I said, we have a group of people who have made this commitment in their hearts. I will ask for all of heaven, and I will let you decide what you pour out according to my faith. I won't answer my prayer for you with that, by not asking. Jesus never said, he never said, hey, you can only expect to see some of heaven. He said, on earth as it is in heaven. So when we ask for less, it reveals a lack in us, not in him. It's our job to then position ourselves and say, it's not my responsibility to tell you how much to pour out. It's my responsibility to ask and let you pour out what you will. Okay? Life comes, how do we steward life? Life comes as a result of people who ask the things that Jesus asked. <laughs> so how does God multiply life? He does this. He speaks to us, he bumps up against us, and then he says, will your worldview, your soil, be more shaped by my abundance or more shaped by the not yet that you see around you? Let's be the church, let's be the people who ask for heaven. <laughs> who knows, like, I don't want to answer for Newburgh already and so say, well, Newburgh's only ready for this much. I want to say, all of heaven come here. You pour out according to my faith. Right? Okay. Let's stand together and close.